can see near the top of that slide, is a word that suggests somewhat in distinction to those that are younger. In fact, in the very statement of 1 Timothy chapter 3, as those qualifications are highlighted, it's pointed out he's not to be a novice, as those who perhaps under the character of being younger might be led astray into the snare of the devil. So the man is to be a seasoned individual, a degree of experience, and hence this word elder perhaps is a very appropriate description. But it's by no means the only one. Look at that next word, bishop. We encounter that word as well in the pages of the New Testament as it describes the gentleman you and I would call an elder. Well, what's different about this word? By way of definition, could you point out that this word from its original Greek carries the thought of bishop as one who occupies a position of visitation from God. In essence, a presiding officer. I hope you will all take note of that word officer because you and I know there is the office of the elder. In addition to that, look at the next one, presbyter. We encounter that word more than once in the New Testament as well, reminding us that a presbyter, again, is those that preside over the assembly. That's the kind of usage in which it had, again, in that early day. So far, we're getting the idea that there are men who serve as leaders, They serve as those who are presiding over the assembly and over the particular matters connected to the ongoing welfare of the church. Look at the next one with me, pastor. I suppose there are few words in the New Testament that have not been corrupted by human usage more than that one. The vast denominational world thinks the pastor is the preacher, but biblically he's not. The pastor is used, as you can see there, is a shepherd. And the elders of the shepherds, it's not the preacher, it's not the evangelist, it's not the deacons, it's the elders who occupy the role of the pastors. Could we in fact notice in that connection that the last word, the next one at least, is the word overseer? You'll note again, the idea behind it is easily understood. And so this elder is one who occupies this role of superintendence, this role as an overseer, and how tenderly did Paul address those elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, and he told them they were overseers. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Those men occupied that position, and as Paul referred to them that way, what an amazing responsibility and what a cherished position they occupied. In the next place, that word shepherd, I thought we ought to at least give some thought to that one in light of the reading that Brother Cale put before us a moment ago from 1 Peter chapter 5. You and I know what shepherds do. They watch for the welfare of a flock of sheep. They ensure that they have proper physical things like pasturage, that they have proper things in safety from enemies like wolves and otherwise, that they have access to adequate water, the shepherd is responsible for their well-being, for ensuring that they have those attributes needful for healthfulness, for growth, for nourishment. And yet the elders are referred to using that kind of analogy. I might point out that even as far back as the Old Testament, that notion was so strong in Ezekiel 34 
Ezekiel challenged the leaders of that day, the shepherds of that day, and he wasn't talking about the shepherds of a flock of sheep. He was talking about the leaders of the people of Israel. And he called them shepherds. And he told them that they had failed because they had not provided the necessary sustenance, maintenance, safety. And of course, you and I apply that to the New Testament and recognize that the elders today, they serve a rather similar role in light of the beautiful church of our Lord. Let's close that slide this way. From the terms alone, we have been impressed so far that it was in the infinite wisdom of God that He wished men to serve as overseers, superintendents, these that would be bishops, watching for the welfare of His people, making tough decisions on occasion, but always mindful of their souls, desiring to set before them the needfulness of what was in their best interest spiritually. Aren't we thankful for God's wisdom concerning something like that? As we transition to the next slide, let's do so by looking at a few specifics. And let's, in fact, develop some of those points that we just noted in brevity. And we'll use some passages in the Word of God to assist us as we think about the activities, the work, and that which is the life of the elder. And so, elders, might we quickly note, based on those definitions we just noted, they are overseers, meaning they possess some authority. Maybe that's not think they're just like all the other members of the church. Now, in some ways, they are. They're baptized believers. They are men who, in fact, are striving for, for safety in heaven for themselves. But they have taken upon themselves an additional set of obligations connected to the welfare, spiritually, of a flock of God's people. And so at the top of that slide, may we notice that Peter was pretty strong in saying in 1 Peter 5 verse 1 that they serve in this capacity over a local congregation only. The elders which are among you, notice what Peter said, among you. So it isn't scriptural for say, a man to serve over a flock of God's people meeting somewhere else. God has not given that as a pattern. He hasn't given that as a course of action. The elders which are among you, I exhort. And Peter said he was an elder. Beyond all of that, look at the next comment, would you? Every reference we have to these elders is plural in the activities connected to their activity as well as to their position. And so we have no authority for a single elder to rule in a given congregation. It must be at least two. Now, you and I know that the early church, at least by, by a few centuries thereafter, had begun to make some decisions along this line to where there was a head elder or a chief elder, if you want to call him that. And he was recognized for that position. And many matters of apostasy followed not long thereafter. You and I know that others in terms of denominational activities, have given thought to having a chief elder. Sometimes they will call him a bishop or an archbishop or some such thing. The New Testament knows nothing of the sort. In the next point, could I draw your attention to this one? It's the plan of God, as we might well again notice, that each congregation be blessed by having these elders. It is the plan of God 
And therefore, we're thankful for those congregations who themselves possess and are led by these men who are faithful elders. If you've ever been in a congregation that didn't have them, you might well have some sense of what a difference there is. When there's just basically the, the speculated opinion of a group of men. And so you may well have old eight, ten, twelve men who are gathering and making the decisions. And you often have such difference of opinion, such difference of viewpoint, and often the work can become very fractured. It was God's intent that the church have elders. And therefore, every congregation should desire in their growth and maturity to reach a point wherein they can enjoy the blessing of having elders as their leaders. I realize that obviously if there's no men qualified, you cannot appoint them. It would be wrong to appoint an unqualified man into a position of the elder. Again, those qualifications were given and they are a part of the Word of God. But oh, how strong it ought to be for a congregation to long for the day in which they could appoint men to serve as elders. And by the same token, it would be a blessing for a congregation to ensure that their young boys have an aspiration to one day be in a position to serve as an elder. We all know that our days on this earth are numbered. And there will come a time you and I will lay the mantle of this old flesh down and someone else will need to carry on the local work of the church. Oh, how much we should pray for, set the example of, and encourage young men to one day want to be elders, deacons and preachers and things of that sort. But today, surely, the idea of the elder is the one set before us. You'll notice next on that slide is, we have various references in the New Testament to first century congregations that did have elders, such as the church at Ephesus, Acts chapter 20 such as the congregation at Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, such as the congregations of Asia Minor in Acts 14, 23. Maybe finally we could mention the place called Crete, where Paul gave those beautiful admonitions to Titus to ordain elders in every city. So Titus had the interesting task to at least labor toward the appointment of elders in those congregations on the island of Crete. Perhaps in light of all of those comments, let's close that slide this way. We ought to so conduct ourselves. Every congregation, in light of the blessing of elders, ought to seek to conduct themselves in such a way as to make the life of the elders as easily as possible. That is to say, we ought not be conducting ourselves in a somewhat sinful or loose way in which we cause the elders to have sleepless nights and cause the elders to ponder over what do we do about this circumstance and situation in light of the choices that this person is making. I say that because read with me in Hebrews 13 verse 17. We'll close that slide by making several observations based upon this passage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17. The inspired Hebrew writer pointed out these interesting statements of truth. Obey them that have the rule over you. First thing I might point out, it is the congregation that is told to obey its elders. That means we don't aggressively fight against them. 
Now, obviously, if they're doing something unscriptural, then we must voice concern and we must actively oppose them. But so long as their efforts are in the confines, friendly speaking, of the nature of the Word of God, we are told to obey them. May I remind each of us the strength of that verb? In the same way that wives are to obey their husbands, submit to them. Ephesians chapter 5, we are told to obey our elders. But read on in that passage, and submit yourselves. There's that word, submit. We understand and recognize their position of leadership, and they occupy that place by the blessing and fortitude of the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. That is to say, they aren't merely elected by human opinion. It's true that we make an agreement, a compact with them when we install them as elders, that we shall submit to them. So long again, as they lead us in a way consistent with the Word of God. You may notice that among the other things that were told in light of this passage before us, we notice it now says this, For they watch for your souls. The strength of that clause is almost beyond description. That we have someone sufficiently interested in us and our well-being, spiritually, that they watch for us. And so when they see matters in our life of troubling character, matters that are problematic in which we are not in good standing with God, they in love will say something about it to us bringing it to our opinion, or rather to, to our understanding, because they're concerned that we're headed to the place of, of being lost. Let's read on. As they that must give account for your souls, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You see, you and I ought to conduct ourselves in a way that they with joy are happy to have us as a member of their flock. We don't cause them trouble and problems, and we don't bring them headaches. And we conduct ourselves in a way in which we wish to move forward with them in light of the Word of God. But a part of that was, in that 17th verse, as they that must give account. And so these gentlemen, the gentlemen we call elders, you and I know quite well that on the day of judgment, we will each give account for the things done in our body and the choices and decisions we've made, but ponder for a moment that which rests upon the mind of the elders. For on that day, they shall give an account of the manner in which they led and oversaw the flock of God that was among them. What a great responsibility, and one that's fraught with concern and care and great love and dedication. As we transition to this next slide, let's look at some more specifics, highlighting the way the New Testament describes the eldership. You may notice there again, I make mention of qualifications. As far as I can count, it appears that there are roughly 34 qualifications in the New Testament as it relates to elders. I think we'd all agree 34 is no minuscule number. But isn't it a reminder of the seriousness of the position? Isn't it a reminder of, again, the greatness to which they aspire to lead the congregation of the Lord? Now, there at the bottom, I've tried to summarize some categories. Obviously, I didn't list all 34 of them. 
but it appears as though there are categories, and some of those 34 qualifications involve the attitude these gentlemen have. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and following, what Brother Cale read earlier, we notice they're not tyrants. They don't lord it over the flock. And so you seek for men who understand the responsibility but never behave in a way succumbing to arrogance or tyranny connected to the church. I suspect you and I have known of congregations in which there maybe was one of the elders who did become a bit too power-hungry, and he did arrive at a point. Though maybe he wasn't appointed that way, he grew to the point where the power corrupted him. But you'll notice in addition to the attitude, many of the characteristics forbid certain negative things. They can't be a brawler. They can't be a striker. They can't be a man of quick temper, just to name a few. But many of those qualifications also involve their demeanor. And by that I mean the ongoing disposition of their life. Got to be a married man, husband of one wife, and has to have children that are faithful. Children that are faithful. So even after the leaving of the gentleman's house, these children set before the characterization of the way in which they themselves were led, respecting the things of God, understanding the importance of the walking with God. The fourth category, connected to family matters. The gentleman's wife, she too is spoken of in this chapter, and she too must be a powerful example of righteousness and goodness, and one who occupies the kind of description that we read later in 1 Timothy 3. Lastly, there are some general characteristics, such as Titus 1.8, a man who loves what's good. He genuinely loves what's good. Again, those are just very brief recognitions of the categories. I would think on the next slide, though, we might be prepared to look more in detail so suppose you then have a man who meets these qualifications and he is appointed as an elder. Then what is the work of this man? What, what do they do? What is it that's descriptive of the activity of this? Let's take a few moments and remind ourselves of some of the things the Word of God shares concerning this. As a reminder not only of the work of the elder, but as a reminder of just how important it is. At the top of that slide... First, might we take note that the office of the elder, the title I that I use for the sermon, is, is a very scriptural one. 1 Timothy 3.1 refers to that office. May I point out quickly that many of those qualifications are qualifications all of us are expected to have. We're all expected to keep our temper in check. We're all expected to be people of righteousness and goodness. We're all expected to be those who adore strength and vitality in the Word. Now, we're not all expected to be married. We know that's a unique qualification, and a person could go to heaven and never be married. But we know if a man wants to be an elder, we appreciate must be married and have faithful children. You'll notice furthermore on that slide, though, we might note this that the principal emphasis of the elder is on the spiritual well-being of the flock over which he rules. May I say again, that's his prime focus. That's the major matter that occupies his thinking. 
the spiritual welfare of that flock over which he rules. And so look at some of the things on that slide. You and I can easily notice a few examples in the Word of God. And we know that there are other matters that occupy some of the thinking of the elder. The welfare of the building. What's the parking lot like? Well, all those things is not to say they're unimportant. But they aren't as important as the souls of people. And an elder's prime focus is on the souls of people. That flock and their spiritual well-being. Do you recall that scene in Acts chapter 6? When there, the early days of the church, the apostles, of course, were the ones who were the leaders of that Jerusalem congregation at that time. And we find that there was an issue that arose. There was a murmuring among various of the widows that there were some of them being neglected. And I think we all remember the approach that was taken. The elders said, Look you out among you seven men we can appoint over this business. For it's not suitable, it's not meet, it's not fit for us to leave the Word of God and serve tables. That could be done by somebody else. You and I can think of deacons, for example, that might take up the mantle of that kind of work. But the, our focus has got to be things directly spiritual in character, connected to the Word of God, the well-being of these souls in this congregation. And so you notice there was a, an interesting conclusion reached. You'll notice on that slide then that there were some things that we can add to that from other verses in addition to that Acts chapter 6 passage. For example, in Acts chapter 20, it's a, pers it's a pers uh, passage we noted already. Verse 28, you recall the touching scene that had developed. Paul called those Ephesian elders to meet with him. Now Paul knew that he wasn't going to see them again. This was it. And so there was a very, very emotional parting when that time came. But among the words that Paul shared with them were these, verse 28, Take heed to yourselves. Men, take care of yourself. Watch very carefully about your decisions. You're an example to everybody else. There's a sense in which we all are. But as the leader, you occupy a very careful position and many people are watching you with great eyes of observation. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Feed them. Feed that flock of God. You are going to be held responsible, as, as the elder Paul was saying, for the nourishment that they take in. Therefore, you must be very mindful that the entire counsel of God be preached. You can't leave out some of it just because some people may not like it. You can't leave out certain aspects of it just because it's uncomfortable. To that same group, Paul said, I have kept back nothing that was profitable. Note verse 20, and again in verse 24, and again in verse 27. And so these elders, as they watch for the souls of the congregation, they're keenly interested that that which is put before them in, in terms of spiritual food is the entirety of a complete meal. Now sometimes isn't it interesting that we are often told junk food doesn't make a good diet. Oh, we may enjoy that on occasion, but you couldn't live on it and at least be healthy. Well, the same way is true of a congregation. You can't live on junk food on and on. 
the whole counsel of God is going to be necessary. We need to be thankful for elders who are consistently desiring that the whole counsel of God be presented and preached and that it's a part of our classes and it's a part of what's encouraged. As they're told to feed the church of God, you may notice the next point would then be this one. That text in Hebrews 13, verse number 7, same chapter as we noted earlier, just a few verses earlier, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Don't you love that? Remember those who have the rule over you, that's the elders, who have spoken to you the word of God. They have insisted that the word of God be a part of that which is a vital issue in every aspect of the church. Let's finish the verse whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. At this point, the next point on the slide would be this one. That text in 1 Timothy 5 stated it this way, that the oversight that they exert is stated in this commandment. 1 Peter 5 verse 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so these gentlemen, these elders, they take seriously an obligation to feed the flock of God, to do so with entirety and completeness and certainty. Surely for that reason, the next point then would easily be these, the, the next two. As they watch for themselves and they demonstrate Christian example, we're told, as we noted, to imitate their faith. We should be able to see in them things we'd like to be like. Quite often our world is very mixed up when it comes to heroes. I suppose we all admire certain athletes, but that's athletic ability. In many cases, they were born with a fair amount of it. Now, no doubt they've practiced a lot to hone those skills, but isn't it often true that their life is otherwise a mess? We're told that among these elders, if they satisfy those 34 qualifications, and they must, that ought to be the kind of person we can imitate, emulate, be like. As I mentioned earlier, they ought to set before us, they and their wives and their families, as the kind of people we'd like to be like, the kind of family we would enjoy having, and the kind of place we ourselves would like to be. As you close that slide with me, the perspective then of the elder as described in the Word of God is a very touching one and a very demanding one. Let's continue that discussion like this. I chose to describe at the very top of this slide a statement that as far as I know is historically accurate. The 20th president of our country was a man named James A. Garfield. I might suggest he turned out to be assassinated, but that's not the point of our sermon. He was a member of the Church of Christ. But the following thing came to pass. There came a time he was elected president. I'm going back as far as now as 1880. And the following statement on that slide is purported to have been said by him. I resigned the highest office in the land to become president of the United States. As important as the president is and the office which he occupies it pales in comparison to the work of an elder. 
President Biden's not watching out after our souls. The elders do. They have eternity in perspective. They have eternity in view. And Mr. Garfield apparently understood that. He stepped down from the eldership, which was higher than the presidency, to become the president. Now, journeying forward on that slide, I've asked you to consider at least a quick thought from the book of Titus. You'll notice that the elders themselves, we've tried to paint a picture of the leadership which they present, and we tried to paint a picture of the oversight which they exert. But as stated in the Word of God, they themselves fully submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, don't you find the description in 1 Peter 5 such a lovely one? May I read part of that again and call attention to how it impacts this present discussion? Verse 3, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. There is the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. They are shepherds, but not the chief shepherd. They lovingly and willingly and beautifully submit to the nature of the Word of God. In fact, that's the thing I wish to emphasize based on that passage in Titus 1 verse 9 where Paul, writing to Titus, encouraging him to appoint these elders in every city, and among that he said, they've got to be strong men who can stop the mouths of these things that need not be said. And they've got to wholly submit themselves to the Word of God because, again, that's what shall be the matter of judgment for themselves and for those precious souls in the flock over which they rule. This discussion of elders allows me to emphasize the words I placed in italics. Hold fast the faithful word they are told. You see, they merely are not governing on speculation. They don't govern on mere opinion. Now, it's true, they'll have to make decisions on occasion. There could be more than one way to accomplish something, and they'll have to make determination of the way that they will pursue it. But they're always prayerfully guided by the teaching of the Word of God. That's what Paul admonished of them. The next statement was this one. They are to be given to sound doctrine. Isn't that a constant reminder? There is that which is unsound. And they've got to be mindful of the danger that presents so that souls could be led astray by it. And so they are keenly interested in sound doctrine in every way. These kind of descriptions allow me to close that slide by encouraging all of us to think about the closing sentiment that Paul expressed to those Ephesian elders in Acts 20 verse 32. I, Paul said, commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. But isn't it amazing? One last word, I commend to you the Word of God. I think it's amazing, don't you, that the obligation, responsibility that, that, that the elder has is such that he is blessedly desirous to be in the friendly confines of the Word of God. It's his standard just like the rest of us. The next slide will be one that brings us to a point of conclusion. We've given some reflection today to the work of the elder. 
We've been reminded about some of the statements the Bible makes about the work of the elder, the role of the elder, those men that occupy that position. And we have been reminded that it was in the eternal wisdom of God that He chose it this way. You and I know, you see, that the human family has many other kinds of government. Have you ever thought of it that way? There are governments that are, shall we say, tyrannical in character. There's a single king, and everybody else serves the one. That was not the plan God chose for His church. There are kinds of governments that are fully democratic when everybody has exactly the same amount of say. God didn't chose that plan either. God chose this plan. And that does mean it's got to be the best one. And aren't we thankful to know it, to understand it, and to appreciate the leadership that elders present and the decisions that they make in light of feeding the flock and the things that they need, the whole counsel of God. As we conclude this lesson today, we think about the blessing of watching for our souls. Are you and I living wisely? Are we living in such a way that we too have our name amongst those in the Lamb's book of life? You see, our elders look with keenness to the souls. And if a person who isn't a Christian, it wouldn't be at all inadvisable that there will be discussion about making the proper choice in life. But for that person who is a Christian, but begins to do some things that would be inappropriate, some things that would cause concern, some things that would in fact bring an element of great, great issue, well, the elders will prayerfully consider this. And they will, of course, do those steps necessary in order at least to make the person aware of the danger he or she is in. Today, as we're about to stand and sing this selected song, may we first be thankful for God's plan for elders and be thankful for the work that they do in leadership and appreciate the obligation that's theirs and certainly strive to live in a way that we don't bring them extra heartache, extra concern. Today, if there's someone in this assembly that's never become a Christian, but one who recognizes what took place at Calvary and the reason why that was done, could we urge you to think with care about the current place in your life? In fact, we read in Ephesians 2.12 about some who had no hope. I think there's very few statements any sadder than that one. But it's also true that if you're in that position, there's something that, that can be done about it. Believe in the Lord with all your heart. Repent of your sins, for they are what sent the Lord to the cross. Make confession of His matchless name as a Son of God and make profession that you'll serve Him faithfully all the days of your life. And then happily and joyously be buried in baptism for the remission of your sins. But by the same token, it could be that you need to come back to the Lord today. Having been a Christian and faithful at that, you knew what it was like to have the leadership of men who cared about you that way. But maybe you've turned your back upon them, upon the Lord, upon His cause, upon His church, upon His kingdom, and you've come to realize not only how dangerous that is, but how doomed it is. Please understand that it's those elders and all others who continue to pray that you might come to realize the need to change and do that at once. We'd be honored to encourage and to help and to assist in the ways that we might do that. But if you're in that position, you need to confess those errors, make repentance of them, and come 
in a hurry back to the loving side of the Lord. If we could help you in that way today, it would be our joy to do it, and do it at once while together we stand and sing.